0: So welcome, Elise. I have already done your intro. Um, I <laughs> It's weird because you're one of my closest friends. So to start the conversation with the normal question still feels appropriate. So for those of you listening, you know what that is. And that is, what is your medicine for the world in your own expression?
1: Hmm. Once upon a time I would have been really specific with that answer, but now it's probably a little bit more generalised in that I am here to share my transition from the old world as we've known it into the new world but in its many different varying endless evolutionary forms.
0: Mm-hmm. That's such a beautiful way to open it because, you know, when I think of you, there are many things that come to mind, but the biggest one being that you are an example of what it is to be willing to unlayer, unravel and live life authentically and rawly. And I feel like that, that isn't always glamorous. It's certainly not always something that we want to show face to and share publicly. (laughs) And there have been many parts of your journey that you have been willing to share openly. And I sense that that is for me, like as a, as somebody that has had the opportunity to watch that, that that's really part of what you're here for as well. So I just wanted to echo that back to you. But I guess then that leads me to what my first kind of opening question is. And, you know, not everybody will be able to be as courageous in stepping forward into a new path because it is extremely uncomfortable. You know, could you speak a little bit to where you started in terms of like, three years ago, stepping out into, okay, you and your husband, we're going to go into a different format of living where we're a lot more self-reliant, a lot more self-sustainable. You know, can you speak a little bit on that, what sparked that? And I'm sure there'll be plenty more that opens itself up from there, but that feels like an appropriate place to start because there are some other things that are threaded into that that I'll touch on next.
1: I just got this image of three onions. (laughs) 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 and i kind of feel like my life has been you know obviously they talk about onion layers but my life and i imagine everyone's life is not just one onion it's not peeling the layers from one onion it's like multiple onions and that's what it's been like for the past Oh, honestly, for the past, like, decade, it's been like that since 2011 for me. That's probably when I really started shifting. But in the last three years, where are we now? 2023, 2020, the, oh, the year that was
0: 2020. <laughs> I start there uh, just because it's easier, right? It's like because everybody that's had the big shift in the last three years have definitely been on an incremental journey to that point. So, mm-hmm.
1: Mm, It's been um, 2020, so on the – let's break it down. Maybe that's why I've been shown three onions, the mind, body, and spirit, so to speak. So literally speaking, in the physical realm, I – at the start of 2020, I had gotten my third serious injury with a labral hip tear, I was relegated to three months of sitting on my ass because for the first six weeks, I didn't listen to my body. Fear of losing something that I had held quite dear to me, which was my identity, driven by a big part of that, driven by ego. Um, I was the surf trainer of Torquay. I wasn't the only one, but I was the one who had, you know, over 30,000 followers and I did videos and I talked to camera and did all that stuff. And it was an amazing chapter in my life, but it was also a chapter that had to shift dramatically because I wouldn't have been able to evolve beyond that if I'd stayed in that, if I'd stayed in that skin, so to speak. And at the start of 2020, when questions started being asked about the world as we know it and the pandemic, um, I had no choice but to ask questions. I literally, literally had to sit on my ass and do nothing. And that naturally led to Google searching and starting to unravel. What I was obviously always meant to unravel, and I think because of my previous history, uh I had learned to ask questions my previous seven years of being sick, I'd learned to ask questions and question the mainstream system, and so I did, and then, as I questioned, I spoke outwardly about it, and that didn't go down so well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was,
1: Yeah, it was met with a lot of resistance and a lot of anger and a lot of people who lashed out before. A lot of people who just lashed out, most likely because the reality for them would be if they started asking questions, they would have to ask questions of the entire system as we know it, which is where I ended up. So... Over the three years, I have progressive, progressively shed that ego part of me and let that die, um, not necessarily because I chose to at the beginning but because it felt like the natural flow mm. and as a result has led me to where I am now, which is very, very, very happy. Um, I no longer live on the surf coast. I now live on the edge of the outways in the middle of the bush and i spend my time growing veggies and washing clothes and <laughs> making meals and making my own soaps and it's it's an array of it's an array of skills that i have had to adopt and have embraced adopting because it's what it means to it's what it means to actually live rather than outsourcing everything. Mm-hmm. So I went from a very very different reality, very different reality physically, energetically, spiritually, it was just as big, you know, that was another onion. It was I met you in 2020, which was huge and instrumental and obviously we had a our dynamic I mean, we got on straight away. We know that our souls have known each other for a very long time, but our dynamic at the time was very different. You did step into my life to be a guide for me because there were things that I had to, again, peel back and unravel. And now three years later we're in a very different place. Mm -hmm. Um, I would like to think now we're on. You know, two ships sailing the sea beside each other, rather than one ship sailing and the other one being tugged behind. Be like, come on, come on. <laughs> um, I in the three years, I was always a little bit curious about spirituality and what there was beyond what we see. But in the last three years, I have once I stepped away from the fray and the noise of the surf coast and the energy that it holds. And I stepped more into nature, everything just, it just exploded. I, just before we left the surf coast, I'd met three of my guides. That's now at nine of my guides. I've also met my great, great, great ancestor who um, hails from Lemuria. I'm also now connected to um, many of my ancestors, like my great-grandmother who died the day I was born, Mm -hmm. whose soul... I have adopted. Um, I've also met myself at 92 years old uh, and she is a constant guiding light now. Um, I no longer operate off making decisions based off what I physically see. 90%, 95% of my decisions are made off what I feel my intuition, my gut feeling, my instinct. Um, I've learned over the last few years that any decision made off simply what I see, <laughs> it, usually doesn't, it usually doesn't end up uh, where I want to go or what's best for me. And then once I switch gears back to making a decision off intuition and gut instinct and speaking to my guides, it's like I finally get back on track. So, I feel like in the last three years i really mastered listening to that part of myself. Um, and then again for the people who are like, yeah, but what are you doing? Um, we live in a tiny house. We no longer have a mortgage. Um, we work when we want, which at the moment is a lot because we need to. And my relationship with my husband is incredible um we made the space in the last three years to really unravel and unpack a lot of the things that weren't harmonious between us and now we're in an incredible space and that feels beautiful Um, i've healed (laughs) i've healed traumas with my family i speak to my mother who i didn't speak to for five years um I live on a property with my father who I am choosing not to have a relationship with. So things have really shifted and changed heaps. And, again, multiple onions, big and small, but all of them with many, many layers.
0: Mm. Yeah, and it's funny when you said the three onions, the first thing that I heard was mind, body, spirit. (laughs) And I was like, hold up, just give her a minute. She's going to get
1: there. (laughs) I know. I'm thinking, how long do you have? How long is a piece of thread? Because it's been a big couple of years.
0: (laughs) It has. And I feel, you know, a thing that is a similar theme so far with the conversations I've had with this second go around of Together We Rise uh, is really around that notion, whether we're here in or we've got a more established place in terms of what our medicine is through teaching or through being an example or through, you know, the different layers of the way that this work expresses itself and that we are in service to. Everybody that is here with a certain level of conscious awareness has had a very similar experience. The mind, body and spirit has been... Um, and I this was one of the conversations I had with Ricky, like the last three years has been an accelerated awakening process, right? <laughs> it's like what we would get to in 10 years, 20 years, has now been jammed into three years. And like the shift in consciousness, physically, emotionally, spiritually, like it's happening so rapidly because the pressure that got put on us as well, like collectively, there was nowhere that we could not, that we couldn't escape from it, right? And you could numb yourself to it and still choose a certain trajectory and many did. And that's okay because that's their purpose and reason for being here and all of that. But the reason I feel that we start with this is because it's also an opportunity for people to kind of reflect for themselves, you know, where does, how does that onion situation relate to them? How does that relate to your own journey within mind, body, and spirit? And what are the things that you have gleaned from this passage of time? Because, something that i'm also really curious to unpack a little bit with in terms of okay yes there were certain things within your identity that really shifted that needed to go that had served its purpose but to have an established platform a certain voice that had been articulated you know it's it's very easy willingness and it may not have been an intentional willingness at the time but to faint to go okay I have built all of this, and even if this was to go, I still can't deny the truth that's being asked to be expressed through me. Can you speak to the process of once you open that can of worms, there's no real going back, right? <laughs> and then now, now on the other side of that, like you have been a certain version, vision, expression of yourself with an established platform and now using your voice in a different way, like how has that been to navigate for you? And if people are listening, like the reason that, again, I want to ask this question in this particular way is it's still happening for a lot of people where there's that dismantling of who they once were and stepping into owning parts of themselves and expressing parts of themselves that are really uncomfortable so hear, hearing that process and being able to, again, see the example of that is really helpful. Mm,
1: I, um, I'm doing it again. So I, <laughs> a few points to that because multiple things came to mind. Um, I, I did literally speaking, I went from 38,000 people that were I even cringe saying it following me. And you can see her face. (laughs) It really does, especially at the moment. I think we had this conversation the other day where I told you that um, the concept of idolization and holding people up on a pedestal and following people, it is lately, it's been really triggering a. a very visceral reaction in me. So it's quite interesting to observe, but I had 38,000 followers and then I started speaking. And at the time I remember making the active decision and it wasn't easy, but making the active decision to not, to not set up another account, to not, speak on a personal platform and just to keep because my, my accounts have always been my, my business is me. Mm-hmm. Even though it was a just a very outer onion layer version of me, it was still a version of me and I've always felt I've always felt the need to be like, this is me. Once upon a time it was a very defiant approach.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now I feel as I peel back each layer it becomes a truer approach. Um, with the, with the shift in 2020, where I started speaking out, literally speaking, I lost about 10,000 followers and then I shifted into, you know, and yes, there is a part of me that went, oh, well, fuck yeah. I'm just, I'm going to, you know what? I've done it now. I've spoken. I'm just, I'm all in. We've got nothing to lose. It was also a part of me and my guides at the time I had three when I was really going through the thick of it on the surf coast I couldn't ignore it mm-hmm. it I had to be honest and no matter how much backlash I would get it was almost like an addiction not because it brought me attention that I wanted <laughs> it really wasn't good attention you know they say all press is good, is good press. Not true. Um, it was that I couldn't deny it. I was addicted to the fact that I was getting closer and closer to the person that I truly was. Mm. And that is ultimately the, the soul, the spirit that lays within me underneath this skin that is made up of 25,000 plus years of different realities, different, uh, personalities different um, lives lived and that became I was never going to remember who I truly am without stripping back these f- somewhat falsehoods that I'd created and I've always been someone who's been like I want to know is there other life out there is there something beyond this so I really I was inspired There's by nothing. that. <laughs> nothing at all
0: nothing. Um,
1: <laughs> and so that was the that was the more you know the literally speaking and then once again i find myself i've moved out to the bush so then i without really realizing created another persona in the onion layer and that was i am the self sufficient I'm, you know, I'm moving towards self-sufficiency. I live off the grid. I'm hippie, um, you know, harvesting my own poo. And and they're not things that I'm not proud of, not at all, but they're still not, that's still not who I am. Hmm. Uh, I know deep down and even though I say this, I still, I know I still haven't quite grasped it, but I know that who I am is none of those things. Mm. is just the solitary essence of life without any labels, without any roles, without any without any purposes. And I find that seems to be that's the linchpin for me because I have always felt I have a purpose. I'm supposed to be here for something.
0: Mm.
1: <laughs> and ultimately just being here is 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 it, is it but even I still haven't grasped, grasped that so I find myself now or when I got sick because I was really sick for about 10 weeks um, this year I found another dying of another persona where I was like I don't want to do that anymore I don't want to I don't want to talk to camera I don't want to talk to camera because I don't really give a fuck whether people are looking for my face or not. I don't want to care if people are looking for my face. There are messages I want to share, but I don't need to be known for those. And that's when I started feeling that really visceral response to idolization, false gurus, even in, the, even in the Awakening, you know, we're talking about the Great Awakening and there's all these people who stepped up and especially in 2020 to 2022, there were, you know, the revolutionaries and the new political parties and the people who speak truth and the spiritual people. And I'm even finding that to not be true because – what I'm starting to understand is that every single person is equal within themselves and equal amongst everyone else and that's now what I'm addicted to searching for. (laughs) Now that's what I want to to embrace. So to say that it took courage was actually probably to a degree, not really true. I just found something more important to live for. And that's what spurred me on. And that's what honestly, after the first one or two times that, you know, people talked about me online or people flooded my inbox with abuse, after the first one or two times, no matter how many tears were shed, it actually became easy because there was something more important for me to live for, and that was finding the truth of who I really was.
0: Mm -hmm. There was something you said before, um, and it just is, right? It's like you being here, every person being here, that is the purpose. When you're here, that is enough, and everything else that you also just added toward the end of that around spiritual communities, truth communities, da 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 da. Yeah, it's all well and good because words, to an extent, serve as a mechanism for questioning, for deeper truths to be explored and all the rest of it. But words are still words, right? Like unless it's being integrated and embodied and lived, you can tap into anything. You can tap into the infinite web of consciousness that we all have the ability to access where all of this information lives and you can bring it through. But if we're not doing anything with it from a non-tangible perspective, and this is one of the things that I often find myself pondering or coming back to and expressing, if we are not using our spirituality or our capacity to be in the ethers and attain all of that wisdom and insight, to become better humans, then we're missing the fucking point because we came for a human experience and there is nothing that we can do to outrun our humanness. Mm-hmm. And it is also the beauty when you said to, like, is there anything else out there? Like We're so curious to everything else out there because we're human, right? And I feel like that is such a difficult Thing for us to land in and to be okay with because there are parts of our humanness that are perhaps not so appealing or attractive or the emotions that we feel are not so comfortable. And it's like we can outrun them and try to put beautiful spiritual words over them and it's like it still ain't it, right? And it's the humbling of living a life where it's like we're constantly being asked to embrace the things that we have And awareness of that come from a higher place, but to actually live them out in the here and now. And this is where we have the potentiality of actually shifting this collective physical experience that we're seeing play out in front of us, because that's one of the other things, you know, like things that are happening that are trying to lead us down a certain path, but are not really in alignment with a harmonious outcome for humanity. Mm -hmm. But the self-sufficing, the self-sustaining, the self- responsible way of living and that doesn't mean perfection that doesn't mean you have to be completely off the grid and you know you've done it in stages and you did when you lived on the surf coast grow a lot of your own food and you have over time moved into this direction I would love your perspective because I know that this isn't your only thing but it is something that for a lot of people right now would be really useful in terms of if they want to start and they feel like, oh, my God, everything, like growing my own food is I don't have that much room or like how do I what are some simple things that people can take into consideration to kind of start making that shift to a way of life that will allow them incrementally to become more self-sufficing, self-sustaining and considerate of the planet?
1: Mm, um the first thing that comes to mind is stop thinking about the end result. It's really easy in this world of highlights and Instagram reels to look at other people's lush gardens and their permaculture setup up and the big picture and forget that it actually took a process to get there. When we were on the surf coast, we started with – we only had 500 square metres. And let me tell you, anyone who's sitting here thinking, I only have a small backyard, it's actually easier to create a microclimate to grow food in a small backyard. So there is actually a massive advantage to having a fenced small backyard. When we started in the surf coast, we had – We had five veggie beds and then we filled those over a season. I think we had two fruit trees. And then in the second year, we added another veggie bed. So, we had six veggie beds and we added more fruit trees. And then it went like that, you know, (laughs) Dakota, my dog lost more and more lawn. Veggie
0: beds
1: (laughs) and, you know, we added a little makeshift greenhouse and we had a a quail coop. And so it bulked out to 16 fruit trees and 13 veggie beds with a quail coop and two herb beds and then a mini greenhouse. But that was after five years. We were both working full-time and we did what we could in our weekends because obviously we had a mortgage to pay. And so there were certain constraints. The one thing I would say to people, though, to add to that is now that we are on the brink of food shortages, things becoming more expensive, if I was living in suburbia now, I probably would have put a little bit more emphasis on getting that going. Um, we were at a really, really leisurely pace and there was nothing wrong with that at the time, but now in the climate that we're in, I would feel irresponsible not telling people that regener- regenerative agriculture on a small scale is a really important thing to think about. Uh, there is a, a geologist, Australian geologist, uh, that has recently traveled the world and gone and spoken to a whole host of politicians and governments and and basically he has literally said that we have five to ten years of industrial agriculture. So the way our food is grown and produced now will be done in five to ten years. And this isn't a case of, you know, there's someone coming in to control the food chain. I think we're pretty certain that that's happening. But we literally will not have the resources on the planet, e.g. phosphorus rock, to maintain that way of farming. And the only way forward is through small-scale regenerative agriculture, small-scale regenerative farming and doing it with our community. And your community can be as big as 30 people or it can be as small as like the people on your street. Mm. So there is definitely more emphasis to make that a primary focus in your spare time now. But it's still going to take time. And we still technically have, worst-case scenario, five years and as I just explained to you, in five years' time, we had 13 veggie beds and 16 fruit trees and, you know, quails and the whole lot. So it's, it's completely doable. I think where people get caught up is, and this is the same for us. We moved out here and all of a sudden we were like, whoa. <laughs> There's so much to do. But then two years later, we have six swales at our beach forest property with 22 fruit trees and we're starting to see it form. The key is to not look at the end result, not to wish that you had it all now for two reasons. One, you'll overwhelm yourself and you won't want to go out into the garden. You won't want to do what is required. And two, you won't learn all the vital pieces of information along the way we didn't just know how to do it it took years of failures of broccoli going to seed and not getting any broccoli heads and then this year Matt planted our broccoli at the wrong time technically the wrong time of the year but it was the perfect time for this climate and all of a sudden we had 10 massive broccoli heads free from any pests that he had to eat on his own because I was sick and I couldn't eat them. (laughs) (laughs) What it is is that we went through that process of learning. It takes time and this world has told us that we're supposed to learn everything in a degree. One thing I've learned about the human race and um, what's that guy's name who did, oh, he did that, that documentary about, I think they called it the Pandemic. What was oh, his name?
0: He's got really blue eyes. Mitch. Is it Mitch? It's on the tip uh-huh. of my tongue. No, no. Um, I'll be sure to make note of it in the show notes because was I, was, but I do know who you mean.
1: Yeah, there was something that he said and at the time I got it but over the last couple of years I really get it and he said the smartest people in the world are not the people who have multiple degrees. The smartest people in the world are the farmers and the people that know how to grow food because without food, as a human being (laughs) living in between the fifth dimension and the third dimension, whatever you want to go by, Food is life,
0: mm-hmm.
1: so and farmers. You know, most farmers you talk to, they've been doing this for decades. Whether ag- whether industrial agriculture or small scale regenerative, what is what is apparent though is industrial. Um, sorry, small scale regenerative and biodynamics and permaculture. I won't say it's harder to learn. I feel like there's a lot more nuances in there, mm-hmm. but that's because nature has lots of nuances. Mm. And what I have found is that I feel like things like permaculture and biodynamics and natural small-scale farming actually lends itself more to the creative nature of human beings
0: Mm. rather
1: than putting things in straight lines and grouping them together and spray this then and do this now. It calls on flowers to be mixed with veggies to be mixed with worms to be mixed with good soil and you know it's complete and mycelium, which is a buzzword at the moment. Everybody's learning about mushrooms, which is great. Um it really lends itself towards that natural creativity. I mean that's why the Amazon did so well or has done so well. The Amazon isn't just a jungle Ancient civilizations show that the Amazon was in fact one of the most successful agricultural agricultural food and medicinal growing um pieces of land in the world. Mm. They show aqueducts. Ancient civilizations used that forestry and used that tropical jumble of different plants to grow food and sustain themselves.
0: And that's the key, though, right? It's the interconnected nature of knowing that everything has its right place. And when things are working symbiotically, it is so much more impactful and everything gets the opportunity to thrive. Whereas when you were talking about that industrialized way of food manufacturing, and I use food manufacturing because that's ultimately what it is. Yes, it's agriculture, but it's still manufacturing something on a large scale to meet the consumption demands of humans that – are out of touch with nature <laughs> and <laughs> everything that you just wove together like you know speaking of the beautiful harmonious way in which nature can co-create with one another and then in turn serve us it is also the smaller scale versions of that reconnect us to the cyclical nature of nature and it is a remembrance for us to remember our own human nature because, and it's interesting that, you know, it's not surprising to me that before this conversation I went out and I actually had this whole thread of information come through just around that concept that we have allowed ourselves to attempt to put ourselves above nature and to put ourselves above God. And, you know, God is very triggering for many people when they hear that. I don't mean it in the religious sense, but it's like these two things are above and below. The earth is which we live on, but the ethers is which this consciousness plays out here. But it's we've Mm. attempted and we've allowed that, and that's why there's so much malfunctioning happening. And then when we start to ask questions around, okay, well, all of this we can see going on, but what are the solutions? And this is part of what you have been studying through your own experience without it necessarily having to be through degrees or whatever. like, And that doesn't mean that those things can't have their place, but you learn the most through living it. And the failures teach you more than the immediate successes. And something else that you were saying, like, for people that are like, oh, you know, I want this beautiful, big, grand garden at the end, but I've got, like, this puny little <laughs> herb thing going on here. I just saw – and I'm like – I'm no – Uh, veggie patch connoisseur like that's not where I'm at yet within my own life but I can keep plants alive and I like to grow herbs and it it excites me though on a smaller level to be able to see what's possible when you connect to something and you grow it from seed and you have to nurture it and you have to tend to it Like, like well yeah but I want to talk about keeping something else alive That is That's that's the biggest segue. We've spoken a couple of times now about growing things, and you know, you were sick, and now you're not sick. Do you do you want to share perhaps something that is growing on for you at the moment? Uh, There's no
1: point beating around the bush. I am going to be 20 weeks on Thursday. It is my first baby, probably my only baby Mm -hmm. because I'm quite, I've always been quite comfortable. um, I've always been quite comfortable with the, I don't want to say concept, but with the feeling of, doing it once and being completely present and I know I can hear it now there'll be mums everywhere going oh but yes you have one and then you forget and then you have another one and <laughs> no <laughs> I know myself that that's if the universe decided that another soul wanted to come down and it happened to be a, oh we didn't try this time and guess what? I'm not about to say no to a second experience, but Mm. by conscious choice, we're quite happy having one. So this is, for me, a pretty big, I mean, it's a big experience for any woman, but it's a pretty big experience for me personally because I'm like, wow, I actually get to do this. And it has not been so exciting, so let me tell you.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I yeah. have been part of the process for the last kind of chapter. That was really you and Matt thing, but the journey for her to come through, and I hope you're okay with me saying her. Oh, I can't, <laughs> I just realized that I said it. <laughs> I should have said, for it to come through um <laughs> there's something so there's something so off about calling it an it though i know like and i think because we've seen it together like that it's just such a habit um so hopefully that's okay <laughs> but like i i know the <laughs> process <laughs> that you have to undergo to prepare to allow the soul to come through you know and how your timeline was not her timeline and I remember in the earlier stages when you and Matt were trying and, you know, there was things that were shifting between the two of you and you were fully aware of that. But you're like, yeah, you know, like I, I had a th- picture this way and I'm going to tell my cousin really yeah. a, like, what the actual question was. Like, can you share a little bit on your experience with surrender? <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah okay. Um, anyway, I had Yeah, this
1: surrender and trust <laughs> are two things that – and even as I say this, I, I can hear my guide going, stop saying that. But surrender and trust are two things that I, in the past, have not been particularly good at. And it turns out that this whole process has been all about that. <laughs> um, I think the journey really started. I heard, and if you're happy for me to share it from like the beginning. Yeah, of course. But- Um, I met or was introduced to the soul of my baby it would now be 12 months ago Mm -hmm. and I remember having the conversation with and at the time the soul was neither male nor female um, having the conversation with them and it was really distinct and clear they 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 basically said to me that they're 35,000 years old, so their soul is, like, substantially older than the one that currently occupies my body. And my first thought was, well, why, why do you want to come down with me then? And their response was, because I need you to show me the way of this world so I can help to change it. And it felt, it felt really right because this soul is not the only one that's doing it. I'm seeing children born to people I know and people I don't know. You know, some people refer to them as in- indigo children or whatever label you want to put on it. But these children are, they're of the new world. They're being born now, but they are of the new world. And they're going to keep coming through. And there are people, and I consider myself lucky, there are people on this planet who are being tasked with the responsibility of showing them how this world works Want of a better word, but not works with you have to abide by this system and this structure, but just helping them understand how this world works, how it, you know, what it is to exist in a human body so that they can then bring on the shift. It's just another, it's another part of the great awakening. The great awakening isn't going to happen in five years, but at some point, 20, 30 years down the line, these souls are going to be they're going to be beyond anything we've ever seen before. Mm. And I truly believe that when my child, you know, I honestly think when my child is before, probably before the age of five, I'm going to start seeing things and just be like, wow, you are not, you are not like what we were.
0: Mm.
1: But evolutionary beyond your years, I believe that they, these kids are going to remember their past selves, not later in life once they've cleared all the traumas, but from the very beginning mm-hmm. so I knew from them that it was going to be a pretty big deal. I think there was still part of me that was typical me, still scared that my health issues or the fact that my partner and I have been together eleven years and never had a scare, and I don't I haven't been on birth control the whole time we've been together. So, you know, there were all those constraints. And and what the modern world tells you that, oh, it's really hard to get pregnant. I mean, I'm fully aware that these stories are in place because it makes certain people in the world money. But at the time, it was valid. It was a valid concern for me. Um, Anyway, when I was introduced to this soul I obviously got really excited and that would have been around the time that we were talking and I was like this is awesome this is gonna happen soon (laughs) yeah didn't (laughs) Matt and I didn't try as such we I guess it was the first step in learning to surrender we went okay let's let's not try not to get pregnant um let's just Throw caution to the wind and see what happens, and we did that for the better part of a year, or better so better part of half the year, and then it got to June last year. I have to remember it's twenty twenty three. Got to June last year, and I was like, I remember having a conversation with you and saying, "Yeah, I think we're gonna, I think we're gonna have to start trying soon. Like actually, like knowing when I'm ovulating and doing it then." And then things started getting, in the space of like a week, things started getting really intense between my husband and I. And I was like, oh, really, I don't know if this is the best time to conceive a child <laughs> bring a child into this. Like I literally was in a space where I was like, I, I don't feel comfortable bringing a child into this energy and then literally two days after I had that thought, I then had Innate Life, which is the kairos that I see that really do properly focus on enhancing the innate intelligence of your body, call me up and go, so you've got level two to three disc degeneration in your neck and we need to seriously look at aligning your spine. This is why you're probably having headaches and shoulder issues and period pain. And at that point, my cycle was every 34 days. So, it wasn't ideal. And I was getting like quite a bit of menstrual pain. And they were like, we have to see you three times a week, every week for three months. And I was like, oh, God, you can't make this shit up. (laughs) So in the space of a week, I've gone from we're going to try to I need to seriously work on my body and focus on, on me and conception. And a lot of the time what I notice is a lot of people talk about conscious conception in the literal sense of getting blood tests, getting um, you know, getting your body right, doing acupuncture, uh, taking supplements. But what I found is the majority of what I actually had to do in the conscious conception space was actually energetic. That was getting people to help me untap the flow and energy through my body via my spine. That was basically sitting down and saying to my partner in this current situation I'm not comfortable having a child I love you and I love our life but I don't feel there's space for a child right now and then going through that which brought up you know grief and and then eventually the realization that we had to step it up as a couple we had to evolve and we had to If we wanted this, we had to create the space and room for a child because this soul was never going to come down without ample space and room ever. That is absolutely clear. Anyway, I went through the three months. After about two months, Matt and I started seeing incredible shifts and improvements after incredible low points. And then my spine started it, everything started like coming into place. My cycle went from 34 weeks to 29, like 34 weeks, <laughs> 34 days to 29 days. And it got to the halfway through the third month and a friend had said to me that she knows a shaman and, and she'd actually spoken to me 18 months prior, prior to this, but she had mentioned to me that she has a close friend who's a shaman and that shaman who practices ayahuasca ceremonies was coming back to Australia. And I I knew instantly that this was something that I needed to do. It was almost like the revelation at the end of a walk to Mecca. It's the kind of thing that comes to mind. You know, you walk the hard road and there's the the pinnacle, the thing that you want to reach out and touch. And this was it for me. And I've wanted to do ayahuasca for quite a while, but always said the only time I'm gonna do it is when it feels absolutely right. And so this lined up. It literally fell, the session fell on the weekend after my last three, my last treatment of the three months. Mm-hmm. And on the full moon. And I was like, I got to do this. So I had four weeks. I moved into a dieta, which is basically, um, you know, you clean up your food. There are certain things you eat. There's certain things you don't eat. I also chose to move away from social media and screens and all of that. So I did that for a month and really sat with my guides and went in with the question, the main question of what is it to exist in complete love? And so the ayahuasca ceremony came along in September and, my God, (laughs) that's almost a podcast in itself. Mm -hmm. It was soul-destroying. It was death. It was rebirth. It was revolutionary. It was immense. But the part that pertains to my current pregnancy would be that on the last session when I had officially reached the question of what is it to exist in complete love? uh, Mother Ayahuasca was working with some of my guides, mostly my guide, Wattam, who's me at 92. And they said, pull the crystal pocket. And I had a crystal which had broken off this one that I'm that I'm wearing. I mean, you can see it. No one else can see it. But it's a quartz crystal. And there was an end that broke off. And a year prior, I'd been told, hold on to that. That's for your baby. And I was like, all right, cool. So, I just sat with my altar and my stuff. And I'd been called to bring it with me. And in this moment, in this last sitting at ayahuasca, they said, we need that crystal. I'm thinking, okay. So I pulled it out and they said, put it in your womb space. I was like, well, you, you want me to – they're like, no, you don't put it up there. I was thinking, at the time I'm thinking, thank God. <laughs> yeah. No, just place it on your womb. So I placed it in my underwear on my womb and it just sat there. And they said, this is, this is the spark of life. This is the spark that you will need to create life. And the day prior in the ceremony, we'd spoken about offerings and how when you offer something to the spirits, they take the energy. And that's effectively what it was. It's like I needed to hear that the day before to understand what was taking place here. And I placed it there. I was like, okay. And then I moved into my ayahuasca journey, like the third one. Mm -hmm. The whole two days was all about surrender. This particular last session was – it was, it was literally nothing but surrender to the point where I was neck deep with my head in a bucket, just like primally bringing up everything that was not in my stomach. I didn't think there was anything in there. Apparently there was. And I was just bringing it all up. And then at the same time, Mother Ayahuasca was teaching me to bring it up but not with force and surrender, not with force. Force, but surrender with we love. Doing it from a relaxed space, from a actual true surrendering space. Not roaring at it and being like, "I surrender." It's more like taking a deep breath, exhaling, and truly surrendering. And I um, once I'd actually surrendered, and it started. The ayahuasca started to ease off and I'd been through the depths of it, I then had this image and I'm like, okay, we're going to show you. And it was a woman in a squat position with a full belly, so she was pregnant, and coming out of her were vines and I looked down and it was coming out of me and it was deep green vines that would come out and spread across the floor and they would just pop up in hundreds of different different flowers, just everywhere, everywhere. And the answer was life is to exist in complete love, and then other scenes followed. But ultimately the message was is I needed to understand that even if a child is born of two parents in complete friction, That life of that child itself, that spark is itself complete love. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And it was mind blowing. And then, um, you know, I held that and it was an incredible experience. And then we went up north Mm -hmm. (laughs) to Byron. And exactly a month to the date on the full moon. I turned to Matt in the back of the van and I said, should we try? And he was like, okay. <laughs> and she was Conceived (laughs) the first month on the full moon, a month out from the date that I received that message at the end of three to four months of solid reinvention and spiritual conscious conception. I could not have divinely timed it anymore if I tried. And I'm happy for you to say she because we're 99.99% sure it's a girl, have been for a long time. Going to officially find out next week. Could be surprised. There is always that possibility, but we feel that it's a girl. So
0: thank you so much for sharing that because it's so sacred and so personal. And, you know, raw so for people receiving I hope that you can feel the depth of love and openness and authenticity that was shared through that because it is big this is such a rite of passage in so many ways to share something that's so sacred and so personal and such a rite of passage in so many ways right like we really have done a disservice I believe in the west to the transition from mother or to from maiden to mother and even the various cycles that happen after that from mother to crone and the different experiences that we go through that are pivotal and incremental in the sense that they happen over passages of time the linear time that we've kind of found ourselves abiding to but it's just Yeah, I want to do my part in that when rites of passage are present for people that I do what I feel is right in terms of giving it the reverence and seeing that and holding that as sacred because I do believe that that's what it is. So as I was saying before, for those of you listening, I too hope that you can feel how raw that still is and how special it is to be able to receive the inside of somebody's journey like that because it can also be the very thing that we need to hear whether it's personally or that we can be the light for somebody else that may be going through the conception journey because that is again something that is a big process for so many people it's not something that we have prioritized the way that it used to happen because it was kind of just like, well, we reproduce because we are keeping our lineage or our, you know, tribe or whatever it is alive. Like that was part of the process, but we, as we have evolved have pushed it out later or we've done certain things that have interfered with our biology and made it a little bit more challenging and more difficult. And then all of the imprinting and the stories and all that sort of stuff that come alongside that. But it's the deeper remembrance as to we are designed as women to carry life, right? Like it is not something to be afraid of. It is not something that is innately within us, but we do certain things that get in the way of that. And often if there's a process that needs to be undertaken to get to the place where a soul can come through, it's because that's part of the journey of learning. So in a long roundabout way, the reason that I said it the way that I said it was that her story could serve as a really beautiful anchoring for remembrance, whether that's you personally or somebody that you know. So I hope that's what you received from it because, yeah, for me to hear it again in that way as somebody that's just receiving and not being in a process or being a friend or anything like that, it was really, really beautiful. So thank you. Yeah. Um, there was something you segued just as we got cut off and that you felt you may want to just speak on a little bit because it tied into your ayahuasca experience and what actually happened when you were heaving into that bucket and then what you found yourself experiencing in the early, you know, portion of your pregnancy. And then um, we're going to wrap it up and I'm just going to give an opportunity for you to speak a little bit on where people can find you and all that sort of thing. But yeah, do you want to touch on that before we close Mm -hmm. it off?
1: Yeah, I think um, it's good that you mentioned that because it's one of the things that has, well, obviously I mentioned that I was sick. I was severely bedridden for nine to ten weeks with morning sickness. And one thing I will tell you that ties into what you said is Find ourselves existing in and now choosing to separate from does not warn you or give you a clear understanding of the weight of what it means to be pregnant and to bring life into this world. There is absolutely the joyous, the joyous understanding that you are literally creating life. But that is the very thing that I did not, it just caught me completely unaware. And I think we've established now that I tend to be someone who will research and investigate and look deeper. And when I hit my sixth week and I couldn't eat, I, I didn't want to eat anything. But yet if I didn't eat, I would feel more sick. If I didn't lie down, I would feel sick. If I got up to go to the toilet, I would feel sick. If I, like, I cannot describe the intensity of morning sickness. And I don't even, I didn't even have it the worst. There are some mothers and women who have um, hypermenzies, which is when you have morning sickness that is so severe that you're vomiting anywhere between three to ten times a day every day of your pregnancy. Yeah. And I don't say this with the... I don't say this with the belief that it's unfair. In fact, I think that it's quite fitting that in order to bring new life into this world and literally grow a brain and a spine and a skeleton and organs within your own body, it makes sense that to a degree we would physiologically, biologically, and spiritually go through an immense shift Mm. that would bring about discomfort and ailments. And I had chronic gastritis for seven years and I would take, (laughs) I would go as far as to say I would take that over what I experienced in that 10 weeks. But at the same time, that 10 weeks, again, was another deeper step into learning surrender. And I believe that that is actually just the beginning of a second chapter of this story. But one of the things that kept coming up that you mentioned about ayahuasca was every time I found myself at the end of the deck vomiting onto the ground, I would just have Mother Ayahuasca and Wattam come into my head and go, we told you this was going to happen, Right. Like we were preparing you for this, when you were doing this when you were doing this those few months ago, and we were saying, "Surrender, let go. this is what we meant mm. because you're gonna have to do it in multiple ways, and so that is one of the things that carried me through that mm. nine, ten weeks, and it's carrying me through. The consequent days of constipation or feeling like my back is going to break or feeling extremely fatigued or.
0: And that's not to say that that's everybody's experience, right? Because it's no. also like this is, and I just, I like, because I feel that sometimes that can be a narrative that slips in there that yes, there's all these things that could happen, but that's not to say that that has to be your journey. It's just this is your journey and the way yeah. that that married into ayahuasca saying you know having that experience with surrender and then like the 10 weeks of full like mantling and integrating that lesson of surrender and it being like holy heck this is but this is also what I then want to close with having that higher awareness and that higher perspective you can actually see these beautiful Uh, lessons that are woven into the experience that you're currently going through. When we don't have that, and we're closed and narrowed in on, this is awful, or you know, like if we don't have the capacity to ask the why or to have the the higher view of, oh, this is actually happening for me and not to me. That doesn't mean it's not challenging, and I'm not being asked to really muster something from within me that I haven't done before. But it does give you what you were saying, I feel, and this is for anything. It doesn't just have to be pregnancy. It can be something that you find is your current hill that you're climbing or your mountain that you're climbing, that if you can see the higher awareness view of, okay, what is this really about and what is it that this is asking me to become, then things, even if they're challenging, take on a different perspective and a different what you were saying like that's what gets you through because it's like you have the trust and the knowing that this is for something so much bigger the fact that
1: the fact that you literally took the words out of my mouth I was literally sitting there and it just kind of dawned on me that the whole reason when we were having tech issues that I was called to be like I feel like this is something that needs to be mentioned the whole purpose of that was for was for sharing with people the understanding that in this current world as it is, if you have, if you can cultivate that connection with what is beyond what we see, you can understand and grasp, it will be so much easier for you to understand and grasp that things are not happening to you, they are happening for you. I literally had those words in my head. So the fact that you literally said the same thing makes me think, Okay, that is why we had to have that
0: little conversation.
1: It also makes me think, yay, we're still connected in a different state, <laughs> it's really good, especially at a time where I'm like going through all these emotions. It's like, yes, I still have that with my
0: closest friend. awesome <laughs> <laughs> hey, and that's that's also part of it, right? Like it's we're not doing this alone, and that's a whole other thing that we can open up, but it's just I feel. We've covered everything that will be needed for people to receive. If you're drawn here, there will be medicine in this for you, wherever yeah. you may find it. It could be at the beginning, it could be at the end, it could be the whole conversation. Uh, as always, the invitation is to take what you need, what resonates and leave the rest because these are just our perspectives and the way that we receive information and the way that we share information through. So That is always something I want to reiterate at the end. Before we close off, I do want to give you an opportunity for people if they're interested in finding you on socials and that sort of thing. I know you're not super active right now, but you will have things in the future that you and Matt will bring to life, and I would love for people that have found any type of resonance here or are interested in building a new way forward where they're a little bit more self-sustainable a little bit more self-sufficient growing things of their own building things of their own you know we haven't even touched on that but he has a whole other level of wizardry to add to this duo (laughs) and what he can um create from a masculine perspective so yeah where can people find you
1: Um, I, the best place to find, um, find me, us is on, probably on Instagram, um, little bantam, uh, literally how it sounds, little and B A N T A M lives free. Um, I am working towards being a little bit more active in that I am ready to reveal that I am pregnant. and share some of the surrenderings that I've learned. So I will be a bit more active on that soon. And I'm also in the process of um, building and finishing a site called Growing Habits, which the best way I can describe it is an umbrella representation of our lives and the things that we are doing not to conquer the world but to live on this earth fully and completely. Mm. So if you watch my Instagram um, and my social, you'll see it pop up. I'll share when it goes live.
0: Mm. (laughs) All right. Awesome. Well, as always, thank you guys for listening and tuning in. Any questions, always welcome. But otherwise, for now, thank you. Thank you, Elise. I appreciate you and have so much love for you. And... (laughs) That's it. That's all I got. Don't <laughs> about my internet. <laughs> That's all right. I just... Thank you. <laughs>